Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. And with me today, Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Timothy. Hello. We're a book club for games. But not today. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm really sorry. Like, how many times are we going to postpone this two-point hospital episode? Like, we, <laughs> we already made it into a two-parter, which was perhaps <laughs> excessive. And then we still haven't finished it. <laughs> What I find particularly funny is that we both haven't finished it for the same reason, which is kind of unusual. Like, I've been playing too much Warzone. You've been playing too much Warzone, it turns out, too. Yeah, I want to play more Warzone. We haven't been playing with each other. (laughs) It's a shame. But, yeah, so, sorry, uh, we've kicked the can down the road again. But no more. Next time it will be Two Point Hospital, I hope. Oh yeah, well it better be. And then there was the Nintendo Direct yesterday, from my perspective. But we'd already written the show notes, so we decided to just stick with what we had. But to be honest, I feel like I can sum up most of my feelings with the Nintendo Direct in just a handful of sentences. Since... It was a lot of announcements of announcements rather than announcements itself, it feels like. I mean, the Kirby game is cute, although also slightly creepy because it was all post-apocalyptic, just rainbow-coloured. The rainbow apocalypse. Yeah, because it's like, where have all the people gone? Kirby ate them. You know? (laughs) (laughs) And then the main madness is, first off, Switch Online expansion pack, which... I don't know if it's like a joke about the N64 expansion pack, but I'm just confused. Like, they're going to charge you more so that you can additionally play these N64 and Mega Drive slash Genesis games. But I just, I just don't understand how this is going to be good value for money. I'm, I'm very curious what they're going to additionally charge you for. Anyway, there's going to be a further announcement with the details in October. So I figure rather than just rampantly speculate, we may as well just wait for that. But I can't, you know, it seems a bit WTF to me. And then the most WTF thing is Chris Pratt is Mario. I did not see that coming. I mean, someone did see that coming. I think it's really funny that there's a tweet from months ago where someone predicts that Chris Pratt is going to be Mario. As a joke. (laughs) Well, it turned out they were right. I mean, any comment? How do you feel about this? Ryan Reynolds is Pikachu, so I'm open-minded. I mean, Ryan Reynolds is Pikachu, except he's not really Pikachu. Ryan Reynolds oh, is yeah. like he's, that oh, guy's yeah. dad whose like, soul is transmuted into Pikachu. Maybe that's, right? maybe that's the plot here. I imagine, yeah. Chris Pratt is like... Chris Pratt is like... Maybe, yeah, Chris Pratt is actually Kirby, and he eats Mario. That's, that's where are we're you going. Saying, are you saying Chris Pratt is Kirby now? <laughs> That's the twist. That's the <laughs> twist. Are you okay with it? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, you know, who, who's Sonic? Ben Schwartz. Yeah, because you, you, cause you said to me, yeah, Ben Schwartz is Sonic. But the difference is, like, you know, actually, I guess Sonic already had a voice too. But I don't think Sonic's voice is as iconic as Mario's voice. And to me, Mario had a voice, which was Charles Martinet. So he's in the film. He's in the film doing a cameo. Oh, he's is okay. It's definitely a cameo. It's not a. They're not going to do a Kojima switcheroo. Oh, that would be funny, but I don't think so. I think they just said he's going to be in it doing a cameo. Like I I think they know people will revolt if he's not in the film. Full stop. Yeah, that's true. I thought I was going to say we're just going to tweet loads of speculation and something will will be right. Yeah, maybe. Also, Jack Black is Bowser. That's actually kind of funny. Fitting, fitting. I, I actually think that is fine. I'm fine with that. They managed to yeah. make a find a a pic of Jack Black looking slightly Bowsery. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's like it's like you know you look at Bowser, you look at Jack Black. It's like this is the same picture. I'm confused. Anyway, that, that's pretty much my main feelings on the Nintendo Direct. Anyway, oh, I guess there's some Animal Crossing stuff coming. Everything Whatevs. is coming, kind of thing. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's where we're at with yeah. Nintendo. 
Basically, yeah. So wait, wait, what is this episode actually then? It's a now-playing episode. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the stuff we played in the last six months that we didn't talk about already. Let's go. Okay, so when I actually went back and looked at what I had played in the last six months, there was actually a lot of stuff. There was a lot more stuff than I realized. So this is just a selection of the things that, you know, we thought would be interesting to talk about. And I very loosely made some category headings. So the first of them is games that I didn't enjoy as much as I expected to. And in the end, the, the list has been pruned down to just the one. So it's, it's Dyson Sphere Program. So Dyson Sphere Program is a logistics game. It's a, it's a game about building a factory in the same vein as Factorio or Satisfactory. But you're building a Dyson Sphere. Well, yeah. So the ultimate goal of Dyson Sphere Program is to build a Dyson Sphere. And for those of you who are not sci-fi enthusiasts... A Dyson Sphere is a mega structure built around a star. So if you think about it, right, like where does all of the energy in the Earth come from? You know, like some of it's coming from the Earth's core and all that stuff. Some of it's coming from fossil fuels and things. But like even fossil fuels, the energy locked up in those fossil fuels originally came from the sun right like it's like some plants grew because of energy from the sun and then they died and were compacted down into coal or they were like animals that ate plants that were fueled by the sun and you know whatever and they turned into oil you know so all the energy in the solar system is really originally coming from like the sun or a star and rather than just get the energy that's falling on your planet why not build a shell around the star and collect all of the energy the star is giving out and that's a Dyson sphere. And you could also basically like build a habitable surface on the inside of the sphere if you wanted. That's actually not what they do in this game. I think in this game it's more of a Dyson swarm. But like, you know, theoretically, you could build a, you know, you could build like a planet but inside out around a star. And that would be like the equivalent of like millions of Earths. You'd like you'd never run out of room. <laughs> Unless you're Mike's photos. Yeah, okay. Anyway, I was very keen to play this game because I am quite into sci-fi. Quite. <laughs> I like, I, yeah, I like sci-fi and I like logistics. And I thought, this game sounds perfect. And, you know, it, it's a game where you're building like a factory, but you're not just building the one factory, you know, like in Factory or Satisfactory. You literally can fly from planet to planet or even star system to star system to be gathering the resources that you need to build this Dyson Sphere. And, you know, like different planets and different planetary systems will have different kinds of rare resource that, you know, can feed into your like ultimate gigafactory that's being used to like just construct this enormous structure around a star of your choosing. And you have like, the graphics represent this. It looked epic when I was looking at the screenshots. I mean, it, it is epic. It is wild because, you know, you you fly in and you land on a planet and you can you can walk around the whole planet you know like you can you can zoom out and you can literally see the whole planet and like your construction is it's actually very interesting because like the planet is like you know how do you map a grid onto a sphere it's actually quite an interesting problem and so 
the planets that you land on, they, you know, they have like an equatorial band and then there's like meridians as you go further up and there's like an offset where the grid has to like adjust because there's not enough room for the same number of squares as you like approach the poles. So it's interesting. And then you can also do quite cool stuff like have a planetary conveyor belt system. So like something I tried to do in Satisfactory and did honestly quite badly was have like a, a like a main bus for materials. So I, t- I tried to have like, you know, build a loop and just like put loads of iron onto the loop and then have like different factories like tap on and off this loop to put either put iron on or take iron off. And you can do that in Dyson Sphere Program quite nicely. You can build like a conveyor belt that goes all the way around the planet, you know. And if you do it at the poles, it can actually be quite a tight belt because at the pole, the circular, you know, thing is quite small. Or you do it at the equator, then it's going to be a really long belt and take a lot of resources, but you can do it. So there's some quite interesting factory design there. And then, yeah, as you tech up, you can, you know, your mech suit, which is doing the building, can like fly around the planet so you can move around much faster than having to just walk or you can boost into orbit and then like fly to another planet even and then yeah eventually build a warp drive and fly to another star system too and and build logistic systems that span solar systems or you know between solar systems even so it's, it's, it's really on a very epic scale so why didn't you enjoy it oh so I think the reasons for not enjoying it are entirely my own mental failings, you know, because the game, so, just, you know, just to, to state this, the game is very good. It's really technically well made. It's, it's made by a team of like five or six people. I think they're actually from mainland China. So the game was originally in Chinese and then there's a translation into English on Steam. And... There's occasionally some crazy English as a result, but it's all fine. You know, it's like some of the the wording does not feel like native English, but you can understand what they're saying. But but anyway, that's just an aside. It's, it's mostly just to say, like, the game is actually quite incredible. It's made by a small team that's done a really amazing job, given the epic scale and how well it all works. But yeah, my personal failings, like... It just makes me kind of sad playing it because my factory is always just kind of bad. I I don't know how else to say it. You know, like I put so much effort into making this factory and my factory is just a disappointment. You know, it's just like it's like really inefficient or it gets snarled up or I build it and I just look at it and I'm like, this is just wrong. I just want to tear it up and start again and do it better the second time. It's like, but I don't want to, I just spent like an hour building this stupid thing, you know, I don't want to just start again, you know? And so like, I'm perpetually in a state of just looking at what I've built and being disappointed. And it it actually just like is dragging me down or like, you know, there's a tech tree, right? As you, as you build, you need to build more and more complicated factories and synthesize more and more complicated like components to build the next thing and stuff. And like, because I've never played it before, I don't really know where the tech tree is going to go. I don't have a good feel for what I'm going to need next. And so I think that's also feeding into the idea that whatever I build is wrong. Like I build the factory and I make what I think is a good amount of stuff. And then I realize like, no, I need 10 times as much of this, you know, as I'm currently catering for. Or like the balance is all wrong. Like I'm making like metal plates and like magnetic cores, but I need like I'm making like a one-to-one ratio and I need like a five-to-one ratio of these things. You know, it's stuff like that. And so like my factory just always feels wrong and it just makes me sad. It's interesting that you say it feels wrong rather than there's room to improve or there's lots of like items on your to-do list. Yeah, well, I, I do wonder maybe if I played it again that I would feel differently about it. Because I think, you know, the past six months has also been a continual effort to change my mindset slash fix my mindset because i i think there is a real problem as you get older of like resistance to learning you know or like i know how to do this i'm just going to do it the way i already know you know and then like dyson sphere program has just been like me trying to do it the way i know and it's it's crap you know and if i came to it again i'd be like yeah you know what i can do it better this time and and maybe that will feel good 
but I kind of got to a a place where I kind of hit a natural break point. Like, you know, I got to a hump. And I think if I got over that hump, I probably would start really enjoying it because then I would get to the point where I'm just like, you know what? It's fine to build a crappy factory because the next one's going to be better. And I'm just going to I'm just going to fly to a new planet and build the next one. You know, like I got to the point where I needed a resource that was not available on the planet I started on. And I had to fly to another planet and start constructing an off world planet and start the logistics system between two planets. And yeah, for me, that was just like a big hump. And I was just like, I, yeah, I did fly to the other planet. I did start, start it off over there. But I was like, mm, this feels like a good place to put it down for now. And I just haven't come back. But yeah, it's also probably at that, that point of the hump where your brain starts to, to see systems in a different way. I don't know if you have this. Yeah, I do. Yeah, like when, you know, you're, to begin with, when you look at, it's, it's like seeing the forest for the trees, you know, like when you look at something like a complicated system, you're just seeing all these little bits and there's so much stuff, it's kind of overwhelming and you can only hold so much in your brain at once. And then when you become more familiar with a thing, you start to see it at a more abstract level. And I think to build a good factory, you need to start to be able to consider it at that higher level. And I think I was just starting to get it, but then I put it down. Okay. Anyway, I probably talked too long about that. So <laughs> you're clearly disappointed. I'm disappointed in myself for that one. To be clear, the game is really good. If you are, if if you did play Factorio and really get into it, I would recommend trying Dyson Sphere Program and, and same for Satisfactory, etc., etc. If you if you like logistics games, it's definitely worth giving a try. I think it's very good. Okay, my my game for this category, or this this portion is Spider Man Miles Morales. I think everyone knows about Spider Man, the Spider Man game. It's just an open world game, but you're Spider Man. Open world games are comforting, they're relaxing, but they're so. What's the right word? Overwhelming, unsatisfying, because it's just a checklist of collectibles. A checklist of things to do there must be a reason mike why we don't play open world games ever in our book club wait do you, do you not like open world games because i would say i would say my reason for not playing open world games in the book club has been that they just take too long to be reasonable for the book club given the amount of time i know you have to play games because like I would totally play Breath of the Wild for the book club. I would totally play Skyrim for the book club. For example, I mean, we would haven't play, played either of those games. Would you, you play know Assassin's I mean. Creed for the book club? I've never played an Assassin's Creed game, so I would try it. I mean, so the usual statement But, but you're is, looking at like 60 hours, right? 60 yeah. to 100 hours? But that's because you've got your, it's filled with nonsense, right? The map is filled with nonsense. Filler. Yeah, the whole game is just filler. Yeah. I'd say that's also true. I think that's what annoys me. I'm just doing these filler tasks. Albeit in a, you know, a ray-traced environment that has HDR. Well, I think a lot of games have HDR, if I'm honest. Is, is GTA 5 an open-world game? GTA 5 I guess we didn't no... do that for the book club, but we, um, we did play it. Yes, it is an open-world game. I think that's the only exception to the rule. Right. Because I haven't, I haven't played the Spider-Man games, but... There was a Spider-Man game that wasn't Miles Morales, and then there was Miles Morales, right? Yep. And I had assumed that structurally they were kind of more like GTA, where you've got an open world to explore, but there's also just very specific missions to do for the main story, and you can just do those if you want. But the, the GT, GTA City is so detailed, I would say, and just it's, it's fun to explore. You could drive around GTA and have a good time. I can't swing around New York City in Spider-Man and have a good time. Oh, really? Yeah, I would say so. There's lots to see and do in GTA just by cruising around, putting the radio on. Is it because in Spider-Man you've got to be a hero, oh. whereas in GTA you've got to be an anti-hero? Like, you can't just, like, land on the ground and, like, web some granny to a lamppost and be like, lol, and fly off again. Laters. <laughs> I think that's right. 
I think you're onto something. You know, you you can't be an agent of chaos in a Spider-Man game. Is that true? I don't know. I haven't played any of these, so I, I genuinely don't know. You're definitely not encouraged to. It's not like you're playing Trevor and you're encouraged to shoot everything up. But it's comfortable. It's a comfortable game. You just put it on. You have a few tasks to do, daily tasks. It's a pretty environment. And you move on with your life. But I'm not compelled to finish the game. Even though it's a shorter version of the the main Spider-Man game. Oh, is, wait. Is, this, does it, is it a standalone game? It's a standalone game. But, but, it's, but it's just explicitly length. stated. It's kind of like a, it's like a, it's like a standalone DLC. Yeah. Okay. The combat is good, but we're, this is because Batman was really good at the time and it's kind of an extension of that. I'll give it that, definitely. Okay. So it's got like the free flow combat kind of thing going on. And it's fun. Yeah. Get Spider-Man. You should get Spider-Man. You know, you were kind to Dyson Sphere. Let's be kind to Spider-Man. You should still get it. It's still a good game. Yeah, I, I heard that this is like one of the games to get for the PS5, right? Is it a PS5 exclusive? No. No, it's on PS4 as well. Okay. Well, I guess that just means more people can buy it. But I still heard it's like one of the one of the games to get if you've got a PS5. I think so. It has a good, you know, um, implementation of ray tracing. It has a good implementation of ray tracing. And it's the first time I've seen any ray trace games running on a machine that I'm playing on. I've seen it on YouTube, obviously. But the reality is you turn it off because you want more performance. That's what people do. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. I do feel like a lot of the games that have ray tracing, I'm like, yeah, but I'd rather have more frames. Truth waits for you in the shadows. This island is full of sinners. Paradise has been killed and I'm looking for the murderer. Do your job. Welcome to Starlight. This island is a thousand little tragedies waiting to be discovered. I must be the bad guy, right? I've got all the time in the world for you. So, my next set of games, I have ones that were weird or surprising. So, I actually, I actually have three games in this. <laughs> it's okay. There's, um, first off, Paradise Killer. So, you actually got this for me. I did. You actually got this for me at Christmas, but I, I actually, I played it while I was in quarantine. So, this is one of the things I did while I was... I can't remember we talked about it on the podcast, but I was literally in a hotel room with no window for 21 days. I mean, technically there was a window in that it let light in, but it was a frosted window, so I couldn't see out. Like it was, it was a very strange experience and it was made even weirder by playing this <laughs> Paradise Killer game. You paid for this room as well. <sighs> Don't remind me. <laughs> I paid for it with my soul. Anyway, Paradise Killer a detective game I, I don't even know how to describe it my immediate reaction upon playing it like starting to play it was that it felt a bit like danganronpa in that you are moving around a 3d world and there are like 2d billboard characters that you can go and talk to in this 3d world and you're trying to solve a murder but then I read some other online commentary that just said, it's nothing like Danganronpa. People who say it's like Danganronpa didn't get it. And it's like, oh, oh dear, whoops. So, yes, it's, it's not exactly the same as Danganronpa, obviously, because it's kind of open world. Like, you know, it's not like you've got this small space and there's multiple cases happening. Like, you know, there's just one murder you're trying to solve. And there's like a load of characters that have all relationships between them that you're trying to untangle and so on and so on and so on so you know in this big open world to explore but you know i still think it's a bit like danganronpa because there's like nothing to do in the open world right it's like the open world is literally just a physical space for you to move around 
it's it's not like an open world game with like I don't even know what I would say. You know, I, I get well. I guess there is some stuff you can like find crystals. You can use these vending machines to like complete your collection of soft drinks. There's like there's like little stuff like that. But it's a detective game, so you have to do it's some. Game, yeah. You have to yeah, piece yeah, things right. together. So how does that work? If it's a war- yeah, so I mean, spoilers. You know, can't really say anything, I- but. Yeah, you're right. There there are clues. You can investigate the crime scene. You can look at stuff and click on it. And you've got your computer that's keeping track of all the evidence. You know, so yeah, it, it has some elements of stuff like Outer Wilds in that sense. You know, you've got you've got your you've literally got like a log keeping track of like all the things you've discovered and like the interconnections between them. And you, while you're trying to piece together, you know, what really happened here? So yeah, there's there's an element of that too. There's no time loop, obviously, but yes, you you know it is. It's crazy. <laughs> it's actually totally mental as well. I, I would say it didn't quite land for me. I did enjoy playing it. I did play through the whole thing in you know a handful of sittings, but it it didn't provoke like a strong emotional response in me other than occasionally wtf you know because like you know games like outer wilds or like undertale or stuff you know like they they made me feel something and this this was fun and interesting but at the end of it i was just like i'm just making a face now which is obviously not coming across at all on the audio medium of podcast very well (laughs) but you know just imagine a slightly confused expression he's had enough already yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's about the story. It's 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 a hard game for me t- to say yes, you should try it or no, you shouldn't try it. It's it's a weird game, and it, it's got this bizarre story. It, I yeah, I couldn't say who would really like this game or who really wouldn't like this game. It is really, <laughs> I, I literally don't know what to say. Maybe watch a trailer and see how you feel about it. Well, actually, one thing that is worth calling out is the music. The the music in the game is, I was going to say unique. It's not really unique. It's very unusual. It's very good, the soundtrack. So I think, I think it's like Vaporwave or something. It's like lots of synths. And then, and then I learned that actually the specific genre is like Japanese city pop. And then, you know, I was very helpfully forwarded some playlists of city pop afterwards, which, which I've been listening to while coding. But... Very funny is this is so childish of me. I, I learned that in Japanese, city pop is called shitty popu, which I just couldn't help. I couldn't help but laugh. I'm sorry, but yeah, I've been really enjoying listening to my shitty popu while uh, while doing my coding. The true Mike is back. He's back, everyone. I'm back, baby. <laughs> All right, sorry. And then, okay, then rolling straight on to the next one, Heaven's Vault, which now I think about it, is kind of a bit like Paradise Killer in that it's an open world and you're moving around in a 3D space and there are 2D billboard characters that you can talk to to try and piece together the mystery. Although Heaven's Vault is a little bit more abstract because you're not even sure what mystery you're trying to solve. Well, I, you know, that's not true. You do get, you get given an objective right at the start, which is like, find this guy. But that spirals off into this bigger thing. So, if Paradise Killer is a detective game, Heaven's Vault is an archaeology game? I mean, it starts out as a detective game, but it really becomes an archaeology game. And I guess archaeology is just like a detective game on a much longer time scale. But... It's very interesting. It's a very interesting game. Like I first heard about it while watching a GDC talk about the scripting language that was used to create it called Ink. And in this talk, they are kind of talking about the difference between like quests and encounters. And and then they started talking about their next game, which was Heaven's Vault. And the way, you know, they model things in Heaven's Vault. And, you know, so when Heaven's Vault works, it kind of paints a picture of like a bigger, deeper world. 
because of the way all the narratives kind of interact and intersect with each other. But unfortunately, I would say at least half the time, it just totally doesn't work. And you're like just looking behind the curtain going like, hey, what's going on here? You know, like you're knocking on a panel to see what's going on to make sure someone's got your attention. You've got someone's yeah, exactly. attention. You're like, you're like, you're banging on it. And then you realize the whole stage falls over and you realize it's just a matte painting. There was nothing there in the first place. Because having watched this GDC talk, now, now I realize what's going on behind the curtain, you know, and how it's trying to do the stuff, but they didn't account for the situation that I found myself in very well. You know, like I got a call, an urgent call from this person saying like, hey, 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 I have something really important to share with you. Come back immediately. So I immediately went back and I got there and they started talking to me about the important thing. And then obviously some other flag had been set that overrode it and they just talked about something else and they never brought up the important thing again. And I only found out what the important thing was by, you know, after I finished the game, reading the wiki and I was like, oh, that's what they were going to tell me about. But it's true. I guess I had this other thing that was more, was even more important, but wasn't time sensitive. And so it just kind of like clobbered it and it never happened. And now I didn't know this secret thing. Sounds like it could have worked because they were going to tell you about an important thing, but you didn't know what the important thing was. So they told you about another important thing, which you would yeah, have but, but the other important thing wasn't that important. <laughs> That's the thing. It wasn't that important, but it just it just so happened to have like a higher priority flag kind of thing. But you knew they were talking about something else. I, I, it was very obvious they were talking about something okay, else. Fine. Yeah. I mean, I can't give the specifics at all because, yeah, again, of course. spoilers. And it's another game where it's really important to not be spoiled. The The actual final thing to comment about Heaven's Vault is... It has a really cool linguistic system. So as well as the detective kind of part of the game, there's a ancient language translation part. And that feels, I, I would almost have preferred if the entire game was just really heavily revolving around this. Like the game, I think would have been better if they'd actually focused more on the language translation part because the language translation part is so good like you really feel like you're learning an ancient language because there's an ancient language and people have forgotten how it's spoken but people use it as like actually they, they're not using it as their normal writing system but it's like it's everywhere in like the game world and you know there, there are these glyphs and they have a meaning and then like words are like compounds of these glyphs and as the game goes on you know, within the translation system, like, you know, you'll, it'll show you a phrase and you have to try and match what you think the word might be to those symbols. And as the game progresses, you know, if you've got it right three times, kind of like Oberdin, it will say, yeah, I'm confident in my translation of this. Or after a while, it'll be like, I really don't think this is the right translation for this, you know, so it will give you hints. But you as a, as a person start to feel like you can read ancient and you know like there are bits particularly towards the end of the game where you know you're just walking into places and there's like ancient all over the walls and you don't bring up the translation interface for that because it's like not an artifact you've got in your inventory but like i literally took a screenshot and i was like looking at the screenshot and i was like yeah i can read this you know i can read this ancient text now because i've just like learned to recognize the glyphs and what they mean really really good could it be made into an educational game so you can learn? You can learn Chinese. Yeah. I mean, that would be awesome. Imagine. But obviously the ancient language is much simpler than a real, because it's a constructed language and it's a very simple constructed language. You know, I think real languages are really, uh, obviously way richer and harder to comprehend. But yeah, I mean, it is a language kind of like, well, actually, maybe it's more like hieroglyphics, but still. Yeah, so I guess I guess those are two very interesting games that they both didn't quite land for me, but certainly very interesting. And again, maybe watch the trailer, see if it grabs you. You know, I enjoyed playing both of them, even if they didn't evoke that like ten out of ten emotional response. Ten out of ten emotional response. That's speaking of games that evoke a ten out of ten emotional response. Once again, completely out of the blue and unexpectedly, there's a new, well, I was going to say Undertale, it's technically Deltarune, Deltarune, Deltarune Chapter 2. And then you were asking me, is it going to be free or is it going to be paid? And I was like, I assume it's going to be paid this time, but no, it's free. Again, it's free. So 
Toby Fox has once again basically given away a game of, I mean, it's not quite as long, but like ballpark, similar scale to Undertale, just like for free and completely by surprise. So at the end of the Undertale sixth anniversary live stream, you know, it basically popped up. Oh, and by the way, Delta in chapter two out on the weekend. Well, actually Friday night in the US, but weekend for me. It's another game where I can't talk about it because it's all spoilers. And once again, it's best to know as little as possible when you go in. But I think what made Undertale so powerful was that it was just so surprising. And, you know, and subverting so many tropes in gaming. And then... You know, Deltarune had a really tough act to follow, given that everyone at this point was expecting subversion. And I guess it did it by just being a total surprise. And chapter two has an even harder job, like doing it again. You know, like how many times can you do the same magic trick before people figure out the trick? I'm, I'm, well, I mean, I've played it and I finished it already. I'm not sure... It's as impactful as Undertale or the first chapter, but yeah, it's very good. Obviously, if you liked Undertale, if you liked Deltarune, you should definitely play it. I mean, you probably already played it if you like them that much. So definitely worth a look. It's free anyway. And then, yeah, apparently at some point we should expect chapters three to five and they will be paid. And they're going to factor in the cost of what? chapters one and two should have cost anyway i guess so we'll see i mean actually no i won't say that there's even more but it would be spoilers it's all potential spoilers <laughs> yeah it's all right i've run too long anyway let's move on let's move on okay so i want to talk about astro's playroom which is the freebie that comes with the ps5 it's a cute 3d platformer but very linear it's not open world at all and it's there to really to show off the. I don't know what the controller is called. What's the controller called? Is it Dual Sense? Oh, Dual Sense. Thank you. I was going to say Dual Shock. No, it's a DS. It's not even a DS Five. It's just a, a Dual Sense. It's, it's mostly like the haptics, right? Like the the active triggers. Is that what they call them? Yes, I'll, I'll take that. I'm not sure what they're called. Yes, this is predominantly to show off the triggers. But as well as that, it's actually quite a little nostalgic trip through sort of the PS, the PlayStation's history, which is quite nice, I thought. So that you'll have random Astrobots. I think is the little guy an Astrobot and all the little robots called Astrobots? I don't know. So you have little, as you pass by, you have these that little Astrobots, let's use that, playing out scenes from other games like God of War, for instance which is quite nice. And then you have collectibles, which are little bits and pieces of PlayStation hardware. I thought it was quite neat. Because even you are talking about these triggers. And the triggers are impressive. But it's one of those things, it's you get, they become normalised very quickly. You take them for granted. We're terrible people. Yeah, everyone is raving about the, the PS5 controller triggers. I, I've still never actually played on a ps5 like i i have never actually experienced this so did you not find did you have um one two switch yes did you play that party game where you had to guess number of dice in the chamber oh yeah yeah yeah. i thought that was really impressive but no one seemed to share that share that thought with me so is it a similar experience to that i think the one two switch experience is way more impressive Oh dear, okay. You have these triggers, they give you resistance, yes. And you get more feedback. But there's still triggers at the end of the day. Whereas HD Rumble on the Switch, I re- I can feel a number of dice in there. But but does the PS5 not also have like an HD Rumble kind of quality to the, you know, to the feedback? Could could you not also do the, you know, number of cubes in the in the thing with the PS5? Or is, is it not that precise? I don't think it's that precise. Otherwise, they would have showed it off. 
asking the right questions. I like this. But what it really made me realize is I'd love to have something like this on the Switch or a Nintendo version of this. Well, a nostalgic trip down memory lane. Yes, definitely. And they can motion control the hell out of it and I wouldn't care. And they can show off the HD rumble and I want it to be free. And I want it to be, well, okay. All these good things. When you say PlayStation's legacy, what is the legacy? I'm I'm curious what what you're putting under the header. So like Last of Us, Uncharted, Horizon. Uh, oh, really? What? I just, I just didn't realize. I thought Astro's Playroom was just all about the Astro Bot. So they literally is... have like cameos or like... No, they're just little Astro Bots dressed up as Kratos. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. I didn't I didn't know that. I would much rather them be dressed or not wouldn't want Astrobots, but I want little toads dressed up as Mario. Little Chris Pratt. <laughs> little Chris Pratt. That'd be very um unnerving if if I heard Chris Pratt. <laughs> What's gonna happen? But but you haven't finished it. No, I've got very close, but just actually I really want the Nintendo version. Oh dear. Funny. I mean I I've heard a lot of people say that actually the Astros Playroom pack in uh you know is actually the best thing for the PS5 or it's like it's it really shows off what the controller can do, which is one of the best things about the PS5. I mean maybe it's changed now that we're you know months and months and months after launch and more stuff has come out, but we we still haven't had many PS5 exclusives, have we? No. I think Demon Souls is really a PS5 exclusive. Yeah. I can't think of any others. Ratchet and Clank. Thank you for doing my job for me. I, I don't even have a PS5. Returnal. Yes, I don't even you. have a PS5. You've even cancelled your PS Plus subscription. Uh, you know what? I didn't proactively cancel it. It's, it's like being made redundant. <laughs> I was cancelled and it was like, eh, that's fine. Yeah, my credit card expired on PlayStation, and so my subscription didn't renew. And I got the alert saying, hey, your subscription didn't renew because your credit card expired. You need to put the new one in. I was like, actually, I'm all right, thanks. You know your life situation really readies you or prepares you to start a blog and a cult following. A cult? Just drop the word following, <laughs> and we're on to something here. Yeah. Have you ever been, you know, <laughs> yes, you have that life experience now. Oh. Yeah, I should I should totally should totally do it. Yeah. Send me money, people. Why? Just just because. It will be it will be apparent later why you should send me the money. It won't be apparent later. <laughs> I'll talk to you over a weekend in a hotel conference room. Yeah, five five thousand dollars a seat. And, and then I'll shake your there hand. You oh, only the people in the front row though, at ten thousand dollars a seat. Sorry. Both hands, if you Sorry. both hands, if you twenty thousand dollars for a for that you know that handshake with a clasp, you know, and I'll pump it up and down. Yeah, you're right. This, this thanks, Ting. You know, you should be a consultant, but but you know, you gave me this advice for free, so too bad. We can no, maybe, we'll, maybe I'll retain you once I'm a billionaire. Execution. It's all the execution. That's right. We have strolled across our world as giants until we finally faced our David. This tiny worm whose emergence was buried beneath the mountain of politics. That's all it took to show us how insignificant we are. And by the time people paid attention, it was already too late. There are those among us that are not cowed by the terrors of this new world. Ones that are immune to the spirit and are ready to raise arms and take back what is ours. Multiplayer stuff. So, I played the Back for Blood beta and it surprised me. Like, it was, it was surprisingly better than I thought and it was surprisingly worse than I thought. It was like... Wow, this is this is actually interesting. So I was expecting a straight up Left 4 Dead 
with better graphics. But yeah, it's got a new and interesting twist. So it's got a deck building system. <laughs> and then, like, as soon as I saw the cards, I was like, wait a minute, I love this. You know, like, you unlock cards as, you know, basically, as you play the game, you kind of get this meta currency that I've forgotten the name of, to be honest. And then you can spend that to, like, go through kind of like, uh, okay, I can't remember what they call it, but basically it's like a ladder or like a, a like a battle pass type thing that you're spending this currency on to, to unlock more cards. And once you finish, like, one of these sets, then you can, like, start on a new set. Or you can have, like, three of these sets at a time. Whatever. You're unlocking new cards. And then you build a deck of cards from the cards you have unlocked. And at the start of a session, of a, of a game, like a, of a campaign, the first card in your deck is always drawn. So you have some control. Like whichever card you put at the top of your deck, you always get that card. And then each level that you complete it draws like three cards from the deck and you can pick one. So you can kind of customize your build because some of the cards actually have quite a significant effect. Like there's one, I think you might even start with this card like called Combat Knife. And like you have an ability where you can like shove zombies. So if you're getting swarmed, you can like shove them out the way. But if you've taken the Combat Knife card, then your shove becomes like a stab with a Combat Knife. So you get like a one-shot melee kill instead. And there's another card that restores health whenever you get a melee kill. So you can take these two cards and then instead of having to hold like a melee weapon and a gun, you can still just take two guns and still melee enemies to regen health. You know, it's like, so you can, you can like make builds like that, which is actually quite cool and interesting. So like that was really good. And then I guess other interesting stuff, like the weapons are random. They're like, they're like rolled like, you know, like in a looter shooter or Diablo like. So you'll, you'll find a shotgun, but it'll have like a quality score on it and different attachments and like different stats. So it's not just like, oh, there's a shotgun here, but I've already got a shotgun. Can you, can you change cards during the run? Like you said, you can pick up guns. Can you change cards? On the no, no, no. So, you know, you, you choose the cards as you go, as it's drawing from the deck. But you can't swap out a card. You can't be like, actually, you know, give these three cards back and give me three new ones. Like, you pick a card and you've got that card for the rest of the run. You can find cards in the game world. So, every now and then you'll, like, find, like, a folio, like, with cards in it. And it'll allow you to, like, buy a specific card for, like, a thousand copper or something and copper is the currency you find in the game that you spend in the game as opposed to like the meta currency you're earning that you can use to buy cards for your deck outside of runs like within a run you also find copper and you can spend it like at shops or you know to buy a card in the game but that card's not from your deck it'll just be a card in the game world that everyone can buy yeah so that aspect of it was good and and quite fresh and new but like the bad things about it it's really weird but nothing ever spawns behind you so like you feel like there's pressure and like left for dead and like you're pushing forward all the time but if you just stop everything stops you, you just you don't get attacked there aren't like random zombies who like climb upside the building and attack you you don't get zombies that come up from behind you there is no random like horde that comes and rushes at you because you've been standing around and just like evidently waiting too long just nothing happens so, you know, it's, it's, it happened while we're playing that we came across a locked door that you need a toolkit to open. And we didn't have a toolkit because we didn't buy one at the start of the level. But we'd found a lot of copper during that run. So we, we now could afford a toolkit. And so one of us literally just walked all the way back to the start of the level to the shop, bought a toolkit and walked all the way back. Didn't encounter a single like zombie on the way. So it seems that nothing spawns behind you. Nothing harasses you if you stand still. You know, I, th I think in Left 4 Dead, there was this AI director that tried to keep things interesting. And whatever equivalent of the system they have in Back 4 Blood, at least in the beta, didn't 
force you to move forward in the same way. The other thing is that the difficulty level was all over the place. So we started and we played on the middle difficulty because we were like, well, we've played Left 4 Dead. We play a lot of FPS games. We should be fine. We got absolutely destroyed. You know, like we, we, we like, we're just like constantly dying. And actually one funny thing is when you, when you get downed, you can still shoot like your pistol with infinite ammo. And like, there were some fights where literally three of us got downed and like one person was still up and they just hid. And the three of us who were down with our pistols going pew, 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 and killed all the zombies. And then the, the last person came in and rezzed us. So there's, there's no downtimer. Well, there is a downtimer, but you know, we were able to clear out the area before it happened but yeah so like we we got absolutely destroyed on the middle difficulty and then we were like okay 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 let's play easy and then on easy easy was like totally trivial that's because they're not spawning behind you now they didn't spawn behind you on the hard one either just checking yeah it was it was really trivial like I, I, it's hard to explain how easy it was but it was so easy I think they were, they must have tuned it a bit because there were two beta weekends. And so on the second beta weekend, we played it and it felt a bit better. So it, it might also just be that we got better at the game. I guess that's also possible. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see what it's like when the game comes out for reals. I think it's going to be on Game Pass, I think. If it's on Game Pass, I'll probably play it. If it's not, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then... My next one, Tribes of Midgard. You've played a lot of this. I can tell because you're always playing this when oh, I look on Steam. Yeah. This, this was a very unexpected time sink. So I had a friend who suggested playing it. But this guy always suggests playing a game and will play it once and just never touches it again. So me and the other guy I often play with, we were just like, are you going to play it more than once? And he was like, oh, it's only, it's only like $10, you know, 10 US dollars equivalent. And we we're like, nah, <laughs> like if you're going to play it once, I'm not going to buy it. Right. But then another friend was like, hey, I want to play Tribes of Midgard. And I was like, okay, fine. So I bought it to play with this, you know, another friend who I don't actually see very often. You know, he's, he's moved to a different country, etc. So I, I bought it to play with this guy instead. And I played it and we played a few hours and you know what? It was good. And then because of that, then the guy who originally wanted to play it, he was like, oh, great. We can play Tribes of Midgard. We played it once with that guy. <laughs> so I was right. <laughs> but, you know, and then, yeah, basically a lot of different groups of people I, I play stuff with, they all wanted to play Tribes of Midgard and we played it quite a lot. And yeah, definitely improved a lot as time went on as well. Like those first few games... They were a real struggle. And then, you know, I played 30 hours. Towards the end of that 30-hour playtime, we were winning easily because we, like, we knew what we were doing by that point. But, and yeah, you leveled it was... Up. Is your character persistent? Do you level up? No, no, no. There's no... Well, there is some persistent unlocking of stuff. Like, you, you unlock new character classes, for example. And, yes, definitely one of the character classes that was unlocked did make the game significantly easier because they there's a there's a whole mechanic around temperature and like areas that hurt you if you're you know if they're too hot or too cold and one of the characters we unlocked can just ignore temperature and that made a massive difference actually because temperature becomes a real problem in this game as it goes on but in addition to that there was also just knowing what to do and being way more efficient about doing it so yeah, what what is Tribes of Midgard? Tribes of Midgard is a definitely more fun in multiplayer survival tower defense roguelike. If I had to slap a load of labels on it, it's like Norse mythology themed. You've come from Valhalla to defend this seedling of Yggdrasil, like the world tree. So that's like the heart of your base, this tree. And every night, hell things, like monsters, spawn that try and break into your village and destroy the tree. And so you can fortify your village by building like gates and like defensive towers. And 
you can also go off foraging in the wilderness for materials and to improve your weapons and armor and level up your character and, and so on. And every few days, you're also attacked by a Jotun, which is like this massive, giant, elemental creature. So there's like a frost one, a fire one, a lightning one, a darkness one. And then there's also an overarching goal to defeat Fenrir, like the wolf god. So, yeah, that that's the game. And then also, as time goes on, you know, the season changes from like summer to winter. And then by the time it gets to winter, it becomes like eternal night. You know, the days get shorter. And then like in midwinter, in Fimble winter, it's permanently cold and the sun never rises. And so the hell things attack your base constantly. And, you know, if you're not really dressed up in cold resistance gear, you will take damage if you walk outside the village because it's too cold. So... You know, the first few times we played, we either died before making it to Fimble Winter because we just screwed up and a Jotun got into the base because we didn't deal with it early enough. Or we would make it to Fimble Winter and then we would just be like stuck because we died if we went outside and we were being constantly assaulted by, you know, monsters. And we we're like, I guess this is it now. It's just a war of attrition until we die. But eventually we got really good and we, we could kill Fenrir and just like peace out, you know. How long does a run take? A few hours, I think. Honestly, I think I think one day is, yeah, one day is like ten minutes, and I think towards the end we were finishing, like we were able to defeat Fenrir by like day ten or eleven, maybe. So, yeah, but like you know, Fimble Winter is like by day fourteen or fifteen. So, a run of it was taking two and a bit hours, you know. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's quite involved. It was fun. It is fun. But I also kind of feel like now we're done. Like, we successfully killed Fenrir. So, I mean, you can, you can still keep grinding. It's got, like, a battle pass kind of thing with, like, more unlocks and stuff. But do I care? I mean, well, I, I already played... I already sunk 30 hours into it. That's, like, way too long. It's, like, a serious disruption to my ability to get anything done. Should we move on? Should we move on to the main event? The, the main event well this is this is you i want to i want to make clear this is you who chose to talk about this yeah yeah i do well, want I to talk, can about, talk this. about this let's talk about cod war zone so i got gifted the battle pass i have so many who, questions who gifted it to you oh john did oh okay and i have so, so many questions about the battle pass so battle pass is time-based is that right you, you know what i thought i knew how the battle pass worked I realize now I have no idea what's going on with the battle pass. I feel like the battle pass Activision just tweaks numbers however they're feeling like it. You know, because sometimes it's like, oh, it's double battle pass XP. This doesn't feel like double battle pass XP at all. You know, does the XP you earn in game influence the battle pass? Is it literally just the amount of time you spend in game that influences the battle pass? I I don't even know at this point. (laughs) It's rare for you to admit something like that. Yeah, because I I thought I knew, but... Having now played even more Warzone, I I now feel like it just does whatever it feels like. You know, like there are people who say that when they say it's double XP, they just halve all the XP so that double XP is normal XP. And I actually kind of feel like that's true sometimes as well. Like the whole thing just feels busted. Like, you know, I, I would love to just get some like lawyers on it or something. <laughs> or, of all of all the people. Of all the yeah, people seriously. you could have got, you could have got engineers. I, I don't know no, who, who's got clout. Who who's got clout to go and like forensically go through it? Get get an actual legal yeah. team or something. Auditors. I'm sorry, I'm just yeah. Joking. Auditors. Sorry. That's the auditors is a better choice. You're right. Let's get some auditors in. Yeah, I, I really feel like they're screwing with it. But yeah, sorry. Anyway, carry on. Hundred levels takes a hundred hours in sixty days. Is that about right? He's, again, I don't know, because, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if I had played more than 100 hours this season, for example, and I've not finished the battle pass. They've tweaked the numbers in their favour. Yeah, well, I, it, well, it makes that's what I'm saying. It makes me wonder if there's like diminishing returns. Like if you're someone who plays a lot, they turn the dial down for you to keep you playing. And if you're someone who doesn't play a lot, they turn the dial up for you. So you finish the battle pass. So you're incentivized to buy it again. Like... I don't think the battle pass is fair. I think the battle pass is being gamed either way. 
based on your particular hours played. I think they're juicing it to try and make you play more, whichever way it is. I'm sure, but the there is an API to get all this data. We could do the we could, but I you don't won't. think there is for the battle pass. That's the thing. For for things like your leveling, they show you the numbers. For the battle pass, it's just an abstract bar that goes up, and the way it goes up seems only very weakly correlated with what you've been doing. Okay. I mean, maybe I'm just too paranoid now. But it really wouldn't surprise me if they are, yeah, tweaking the system to improve their numbers, you know, their retention numbers. Okay. I want to talk about a couple of things. What are you playing? How are you playing? And your class. Why are you asking me? We should be talking about you. This because is you. I'm, I'm, still playing, I'm, I'm just playing purely Resurgence. On oh, Rebirth. you're playing Resurgence? Wow. Okay. Yeah. What? Why? Because I like to keep it simple. I like to kill things. I don't want to hide in a closet. Not that anyone hides in a closet anymore. I think you're you're you're. But post there's nothing to hiding. say. You have to be hiding. <laughs> Take the fight to them. Yeah, I'm kidding. I don't like waiting but, around. But, but Rebirth Island Resurgence. That's a way more aggressive playstyle, anyway, right? Yeah. Actually, Doom I guess that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And there's no waiting around to be brought back. You're playing with a squad, right? You're not playing with randoms. Uh, mostly with a squad, sometimes with randoms. I've won with randoms, so it's not all bad. And what's your loadout now? It's, uh, you'll judge me now, Kilo plus Mac 10. No, Krig plus Mac 10, not Kilo. Yeah, well, Krig is the new Kilo. But they nerfed the Krig, you know, they quadrupled the recoil. Actually, they buffed it again just this they've they've been doing so many weapon balancing passes it's actually ridiculous like it's it's hard for me to keep up and i'm like a full-time warzone player at this point you know you just need to monetize it please no don't don't oh, it is don't, i didn't hear the please i'm not that person don't do it do what you like it, it is mental like they they really are changing the weapons so much Craig mac 10 is a good loadout Craig mac 10 is a good loadout. <laughs> what about stoner gallo uh stoner gallo is is the meta. Oh my At least it goodness. was up until last week. Yeah, because after they nerfed the Krig, the stoner was like the best TTK, undisputedly. And probably one, you know, for the for the amount of recoil it had, the stoner definitely had the best TTK. And and the Gallo was apparently totally broken. Like I heard that in Brazil. Because you know, obviously like there's different trends in different parts of the world depending on who's like, you know, the tastemaker over there, right? And I think a load of Brazilian YouTubers or TikTokers or whatever really popularized the Gallo and the Gallo was totally, totally busted to the extent that apparently in Brazil, everyone playing was just running stuns and the Gallo. And the game was just like unplayably toxic. But then they really nerfed the Gallo hard, I heard. So, you know, again... That's a great loadout. That's a seriously meta loadout. Wow. Where, where, are, you, where are you getting this from? Where is, where's your info from? Kez is telling me this. Kez is clearly a Warzone pro. He knows his <laughs> stuff. Problem is, he, he has a full-time job, unlike you. Well, yeah, so I've got a lot better at Warzone. Like, I think when I first started playing it and like last, you know, like this time last year, I think my KD was like 0.8 something. And then like, I played a lot of multiplayer to like grind stuff back then. And I just like, you know what? I was a team player. I would always play the objective, which meant I had a shocking KD because I just died a lot playing the objective. Right. Thanks, Mike. If no one's thanking you, thank you, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Well, whereas now I basically only play Warzone. So if you look at my just stats for the most recent season, I think my KD is like 1.1 or 1.2. So I've got significantly better. Like if you look at my long-term KD, obviously it's still dragged down by all that that time before. But my KD for the season is like 1.1, 1.2. I had a, like a 13 kill game earlier this week. So, you know, I've got a lot better. And I still like to play vanilla Warzone. I mostly play duos. I occasionally play trios or quads with people in the UK, but I usually play duos with a friend in the US. And my default loadout now is a SMG and sniper. So I really feel like that's your final form. 
is great, actually. I really enjoy it. It's, a, it's very interesting to see how I think I just didn't really understand Warzone or COD before. And having now played it so much, I see the game in a different way. Like the whole thing about like abstractions and like, you know, understanding games on a different level. Like I understand it on a different level now. Because before I was like, why would I want an SMG? You know, I've got an AR and AR is a far more versatile gun. Right. And I can put like the cantered sight on it so I can have a short range and a long range sight. You know, I'm way better off with a really versatile gun and a ghost loadout and then like a launcher to take out vehicles. Right. Like that was my mindset before. And now I really understand, you know, like the different kinds of engagement ranges and which guns are optimal for those engagement ranges and so on. And so like now, if I've got a pick at the start of game, I will get an smg so currently the bullfrog but before the mac 10 and a sniper these days swiss k31 and you know we will get the money efficiently and do some contracts buy a loadout drop that loadout in a defensible spot and pick people off with the snipers and i've got like way better at sniping now as well and then when the free loadout comes in we'll well if it's going to be out the circle we'll sometimes make a trek to it otherwise if you know if it if it's on the way to a circle later on we'll just leave it there and then eventually the plan is to yeah swing by that second loadout get ghost usually i'll swap the sniper for an ar at that point but i keep the smg and i build my smg for yeah short to mid range so i usually take i usually prefer like the longer range smgs so that's why i'm taking Mac 10 bullfrog maybe PPSH rather than like an OTS or an MP5 it's, it's funny I like I know all this stuff now <laughs> like I really know all this stuff it's so funny anyway more warzone next time <sighs> it's, ter- it's terrible but it's terribly fun we were lost levels club we still are lost levels club please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On Twitch. As Lost Levels Club. Anywhere else? Reddit. Slash r slash Lost Levels Club. What are you grateful for today, Mike? I I feel like my brain fog has kind of lifted. I feel like a bit, you know, I feel a bit sharper again. Yep, I totally agree. 100%. And I've been making kind of like a Star Fox type game. I think it's actually starting to look pretty good. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm not sure I'll really, really try and finish this game. Because I think to really finish a game of that scale takes, well, it would take a really long time. But I'm pretty pleased with how it's shaping up, even if I just decide to make it kind of like a prototype for the mechanics and be like yep i'm moving on so we'll see but yeah i i feel better i feel sharper again so michael says bye bye bye